For the second time, we begin our annual Q&A episode. It's your questions and our answers to them here on the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again. Episode number 94, I think. I don't actually have the number written down here because I have a different notebook today. I'm Nick. He's Will. And we are going to answer a lot of questions, which are to say we have 23 questions you asked for the past month. We've been hyping this episode up. It is a Q&A episode, as you could probably guess. And this whole episode is just solely devoted to answering the questions you've been asking us since November. It is two days before Christmas as we record this, and you will hear it the day after Christmas. So... Hopefully you had a good holiday. And also, a fun little fact here, which I only kind of realized today, this is going to be the last episode for the year. This is the last episode Ooh. in 2020. So hopefully in 2021, we'll uh, be at the same point and we'll be able to talk about how great the season was, how we managed to have 100 plus games in each of the major independent leagues. and Everything went off smoothly with no real covid flare-ups or anything like that hopefully it's all positive here uh, as we leave 2020 behind and then next week we will uh, figure out what we're going to do from there and uh, i guess we could probably just kind of get going into uh, these questions been looking forward to this episode for for a while now uh just because i, I love answering questions i know I, I do so on my instagram story a good amount as well so uh, i love answering questions love hearing from from people uh, asking questions, love, and we'll answer any questions the best that we can, or if they're opinion, uh, opinion questions, opinion-based questions, we will do our best to answer those as well. And I will apologize in advance. I didn't write down who each of these questions are from. I just wrote down the question. So uh, if you're a listener, which if you send us a question, I assume you are, uh, you'll know your question when you hear it. And of course, we thank everyone that submitted a question for submitting a question. Uh, you made the episode happen after all. So with that, we'll jump in. And the first one is a, with the American Association losing two big franchises. What new markets do you think both fit the footprint and match well for the format? Uh, obviously, this is referencing losing St. Paul and the Texas Air Hogs, although I'm not quite sure I'd call the Texas Air Hogs a big market, I guess, technically. Yeah. They are, uh, being in Grand Prairie, not terribly far from uh, Dallas. So, in a sense, I suppose. But uh, the sentiment is received. Uh, this is really a question asking about where we think the American Association could kind of go into. So, I guess I'll, I'll let you begin and kick off this Q&A with, uh, with your answer to it. So, I, I think, I think it, it's a very good question, and I don't think there's an easy slam-dunk answer Obviously, the American Association now, if you, if they would look to add, uh, look to add teams to replace the Texas Air Hogs and the St. Paul Saints, you'd probably need to look to add two, just because you uh, you wouldn't have an opportunity. I mean, a traveling team would be really difficult, especially if the season's beginning next year under some sort of uh, co with COVID protocols and stuff like that. So as far as new markets that I think could potentially work in the American Association, I think the first one that I was very hopeful for was Fort Worth, because I think uh, Fort Worth it was really a, a great location, not too far from 
from Grand Prairie in Texas, kind of a sub a suburb of Dallas, of course. And I, I think that that would have been if they were able to renovate their stadium there, it would have been a really good fit for the American Association. Uh, unfortunately, it, it didn't really work out because um, I, I believe something to do with with, with the funding and uh, and and it just it just really didn't work work out. So I, I think that if they could figure it out, if they could figure out how to get baseball into Fort Worth, I think that would be an A plus home run to move to. I think that would be a perfect place for an American Association team. And, and I think obviously you'd, you'd need some some franchise to uh, to to also go with that. And I think that although Alabama might be a little bit, I guess, out of the American Association's like they're uh they're, they're traditional like markets. You, yeah, when you yeah. think when you think of the American Association, like you don't really think of the deep south in in Alabama. I think it could work because obviously there's a lot of travel in the American Association to begin with and they, they haven't really shied away from anything. I mean, listen, we have a we had it we used to have a team in Texas and there's a team in Winnipeg. So th- there's not really travel has never really been something the American Association has shied away from. I think you could potentially look at um, maybe moving into Mobile in, in Alabama. If you wanted to move in, into Huntsville, I think either either of those could potentially work as well. So I, I don't think, unlike the Atlantic League and the Frontier League, I, where I think there's bo- there's a couple options in either in either league that would be that are easy options, and you could easily say that oh that'd be a great fit. I think there's less of that in the American Association. However. I don't think they necessarily have to add uh, a couple franchises to replace. Obviously, it would be nice. But to, to answer your question, I would say a team in Alabama would probably be high on my list, whether it's Huntsville or Mobile. And if you could find a way to figure out the stadium situation in Fort Worth, I think that could be an, an awesome place for an American Association team. Yeah, I'm going to go in on Mobile and Fort Worth in a minute because that relates to the uh, next question that we actually have. I think they were mentioned by name. So we'll we'll talk about them in just one second. But I do agree. I don't think there's any sort of a pressing need to replace those markets. I think you're already at, what is it, 10 teams in the league? So, yeah. Yeah, so it's not like it's a small <laughs> league exactly. Plus, you still do have the one team in Claiborne all the way down in Texas, and you have a team in Winnipeg. Uh, obviously, Winnipeg's a bit more out there now, although you do have the, the teams in North Dakota and South Dakota, so it's not as far, but distance certainly uh, is annoying still. Uh, regardless, like you said, they don't really care too much about distance, but with that in mind, I kind of use the map on their site of where each of their teams are located, and if a state appeared on that map, I consider them to be in range. So uh, a couple ones that I found that would be interesting uh Shakopee Minnesota it's one that we've talked about a lot on this show uh, I wrote an article about it last year Shakopee is poised at last reporting to break ground on their stadium in 21 so even if you want to say all right they'll break ground mid 21 uh supposedly they'll be ready to go for the season in 22 which would obviously be a really nice addition to the, the league 
Um, you would have a brand new ballpark. It would seat, I want to say something like 5,000, which would be a very nice get. Uh, you'd regain the Minnesota market. I don't think it's terribly far from the Twin Cities, although obviously you have the downside of having to fight now a, uh, a Saints team that's affiliated, which just, it, it gives them more even firepower, really, because now they have a lot of really fancy names attached to uh, that Saints brand. Plus, you obviously have the Twins that are right there, so you'd have a lot going uphill, but you could probably still draw a good amount there, and obviously facilities do uh, matter, and that would certainly be one there uh, to watch out for, but that one probably wouldn't be added till 22 at the earliest also in there, uh, some of the recently, I guess, unaffiliated teams now are de-affiliated teams or non-invite teams, whatever you want to call them, the teams that lost their affiliation. Clinton, Iowa, obviously, is one there. King County is another one. Jackson, Tennessee, I think is still reasonable. Again, it's a little bit further out there, kind of like how uh, Mobile was. The American Association has a history of putting teams wherever the hell they think they can succeed. I mean, they had a team in Pensacola, which I can only imagine the trip from Winnipeg to Pensacola and Burlington, uh, Iowa again. I think those all fit the footprint. I think King County would be the one they want the most. Uh, the other ballparks are a bit older. Uh, Jackson being the newest of the three remaining that I named, uh, they had their ballpark built in the 80s, I want to say. The other two were built in the 40s and the 30s, if I remember correctly. And uh, they may be a little too old for them. Either way, I think that you'll see teams uh, populate those ballparks, certainly. And I think the only other one that wasn't mentioned that I think has a really, really decent shot at possibly getting a team again. They were in the American Association for a bit. I constantly throw this out here and I get flat going, oh, they don't want to go back there and all that. But I really do believe in Joplin, Missouri. It fits the footprint. The ballpark was just renovated in 2011, I want to say. It can definitely support a pro team. The city has shown that they want one in that failed Southwest League that never got off the ground. I really do think if you find the right ownership group for there, they can make it work. That's why it didn't work the first time. It didn't work simply because you had a poor ownership group that wasn't able to afford the team and wasn't able to get that community involved and we've spoken with numerous commissioners on this show and they all say the same thing you need a strong ownership group you need good day-to-day -day management if you don't have those things you're not going to be successful you can't really overcome poor management and poor ownership and so i, I think with the right ownership group joplin could definitely succeed i think that i think that would make a lot of sense and i think it, it, it's funny to think that the American Association had a team in Florida. Like that is a that is a wild bus ride. Yeah, like I just can only imagine how terrible it would be. Although the the stark difference if you're starting the year off in Winnipeg and then you get down to Pensacola. All right. So with that, I think we answered question one. We can go on to question two here. Uh, what's the possibility of Mobile, Alabama, or Fort Worth, Texas, or New Orleans, Louisiana getting an indie ball team? Well, you kind of cover this in your answer, and uh, yeah. obviously you said, you know, Mobile and Fort Worth, they can get the stadium done, or they can get the ownership in place, uh, they would have their shot, so uh, I think you, there's no real need to rehash what you just said, so I'll mm -hmm. let you, I'll let you comment on New Orleans, and then I'll, uh, then I'll go all in on my answer. So, I think, as far as New Orleans, um, I, I think that, like, on the surface, that would be 
a really good idea to try and move an indie ball team in there. I mean, it was a triple A stadium until they decided to move to Wichita pre pre pandemic. Uh, however, it looks like they've actually they're actually going to put a professional rugby team uh, in there at, at least for the 2020 season. They haven't really commented about is this a long term thing? Is this a short term thing? Uh, and, and whatever. I think I think potentially down the road, if this rugby thing really isn't uh, a long term, a long term solution for New Orleans for that stadium, I, I could I could definitely see moving an indie ball team there. I think the I mean the location is second to none. I think you could even make the case that it could be a potential Atlantic League market or um or, or American Association market, probably not Frontier League, I would say. But I, I think that. It, it, it would be it would be an interesting place if they're if they if rugby is not really an option for them long term. You you think and it's and and you wonder well how much money can you really make by having a professional rugby team in there? And to be honest with you, I, I don't really know. I mean, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not really well versed in the world of professional rugby. Uh, however, that's that's the current state of the New Orleans stadium now uh however if that's not if they decide to go in a different direction could i see uh it's uh, an indie ball team in new orleans I, I i think i think the answer is definitely yes i think it could definitely be a good option for an atlantic league team or uh, or an american association team with a good with a good ownership group that can help kind of revitalize interest in, in baseball in New Orleans that didn't really end on the best of terms with them moving the moving the team over to Wichita. I think New Orleans could definitely be an option if they if they see that rugby is not really a long term fit for them. Yeah, it's always weird how it seems like these kind of more fringe sports in America always take up these indie ball stadiums. You know, we saw cricket take over the Air Hog Stadium. We saw, or now we see that uh, rugby's taking over this stadium. Uh, it's very odd how that kind of works out here. But uh, regardless of that, I'll pick up on New Orleans and work my way up the list here. New Orleans, I kind of put it as doubtful, at least as of now. There just doesn't seem to be much interest in bringing a baseball team back there. Also, the ballpark, from at least from what I can gather, is kind of on the outskirts of town. There's nothing really around there. It's out by the airport, so it makes it very difficult to get to. And you're not going to draw locals in there. Plus, there's also the humidity factor you deal with being in the south. Now, that's something everyone's going to deal with, so you could call it negligible, but... There's another issue of baseball season falls out the prime tourism season for New Orleans. Obviously, Mardi Gras is their time of the year where they get most of their tourism revenue from, but uh, that's not baseball season at all. So that's going to be an uphill battle here. Now, I do want to say I don't rule it out entirely. That's why I say it's just doubtful. I just don't see in the foreseeable future. I do agree with you. The market's great in the sense of it's a big market. It's a, it's a nice ballpark, certainly. You'll definitely be able to hold an independent league team, and I think it would be perfect for the Atlantic League if they want to continue this kind of westward expansion. Plus, if the Atlantic League's interested in still going into Alabama, and I'll talk about that in just a second, uh, then New Orleans would make an awful lot of sense, especially if you plop a couple of their teams out there. You could have a whole western division, and a southern division, and then a, a northern division, as it were. And you could have uh, three, four-team divisions, or you could split it up however you'd like. But it would work out, especially if they want that southern market from which what we know uh, of the Atlantic League's plan, they seem to want that kind of more southern expansion. 
So that said, I just don't know if there's enough interest, uh, locally speaking, to bring a baseball team into that stadium. Uh, if there is, then it could very well happen, but I think you already have a tenant in Major League Rugby, and there's just not enough of a sentiment going uh, pro baseball here. I looked it up, and I just didn't see any sort of clamor to bring baseball back to New Orleans. And in fact, I saw an article saying bringing baseball in would be short-sighted. You don't want to do it. Now, granted, it was an op-ed, so I mean, how much is it really worth? But even still, it's uh, I'm not sure how much faith I put into it. Although, like I said, I would love to see it in the Atlantic League or the American Association either way. To Fort Worth, I think that one's a lot more possible. Like you said, well, all you really need is an ownership group and money to renovate the stadium. If you can get that underway, then you'll be all set. However, the last bit of funding kind of fell through on it. Uh, I think they've only fell through like a year or so ago as well. So it's not like it's hasn't been attempted recently. It's been attempted recently. It was defeated. So that's why I'm thinking you need more like eight years or so to really get the ballpark renovated. And then once it's renovated, then you can start really discussing the matter again. I think it's just going to take a lot of time to build up the local support for it, get the money together. Uh, reading the handful of articles there are, I just didn't get the sense that uh, the local officials were interested in putting all the money into uh, uh, repairing the stadium to the level it needed to be repaired. So that's going to be a, a, a bit of a hold up here, but I certainly think there's interest from a lot of leagues and interest from a lot of people around there to renovate that stadium. So I will say I, I do kind of expect to see a team go in there. I just think it's going to be more closer to 2030 than 2020. Then that brings us to the final market in Mobile, Alabama. I think that one has a real possibility after 22. I think we we know all right uh, when the lease for Hank Aaron Stadium, who's going to take that over, was put up. Uh, the one market I led by, I think, it was Tim Bennett, the one ownership group there. Uh, he lost his bid to try and bring the Atlantic League team in to there. So there's clearly interest from the independent leagues to go into Alabama, particularly Mobile. Now, he doesn't have a shot at this again until 22. And if the city doesn't seem like they like the current group they have there, or if the current group says, all right, we want to expand out, maybe fill some more dates in a baseball team is the way to go. I certainly think Mobile's on the top of a lot of lists. I think the American Association makes a lot of sense. I think the Atlantic League would be interested in it as well. I, Like I said, I could see that happening within the next two to three years to put a team there. I think it depends an awful lot on uh, their other expansion plans and who winds up winning the... Uh, the rights to run the stadium uh, when these uh, when the current lease expires in two years. Moving a team to Alabama could uh, would def- would definitely make a lot of sense for for any league. And and it, it's interesting you it, the, you're right in the sense that there does seem to be a lot more interest in bringing baseball into Mobile than it is to bringing than there than there is to bringing baseball back to new orleans so I, I i agree i think out of out of the out of the three mobile is probably the most likely uh option for an independent league team that to move in there yeah i would agree with that and so uh we go now to question number three do you see the frontier league moving back into former markets uh this is just straight up it really does depend on a couple of factors here uh the first of those factors is really uh, is there a desire from those markets to go back into them to get the Frontier League back? 
Uh, and the second is, is there an ownership group? I don't really know any markets in particular that are really pounding at the door. I don't think there's any sort of clamor from any market in particular. We have a question a little bit later on that asks specifically, I always have a hard time saying that word specifically, uh, about Traverse City and London, Ontario. And so uh, I'll deal with those markets when we get there, but I'm not entirely sold on them going back into old markets. I'm not sure if that's something a lot of leagues like doing. Obviously, that's been a reason why I got a lot of pushback whenever I mentioned Joplin. I would say it's a solid maybe. It really just depends on if there's a market that steps up and says, we want a ball club again, the stadium's up to par, and we have an ownership group. It, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, for me... As far as the, the exact wording of the question, do I see it? No, I don't see it at all. And the, and the reason I don't see it is because, like, like you mentioned, Nick, there's got to be an ownership group that, that has got to be really excited and trying to revive baseball in those markets. I mean, you, you're thinking of markets like Normal and, uh, and, and Traverse City and uh, I, guess, I guess River City now as well. Yeah. But um, when, when you think, when you look at, at least not not even just the frontier league but all independent leagues i don't think i know of one one scenario in which a league left a specific mark well i guess ottawa i, I they i guess the frontier league technically did with ottawa but that's not really yeah it doesn't really that, count that wasn't it was really, can am yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't i don't i don't really count ottawa just because um it, it, it's not like everyone kind of it was the worst kept secret ever that Ottawa's yeah. was coming back in 2021 and that it, it was more of a lease issue than a market issue and and so I, I think that there's not really an instance of of a of a league leaving a specific market and then coming back in like in like five six seven years it's just not something you really see very often because you would need to get a new ownership group that'd be willing at least try a certain business model again in something that already that already kind of failed. And I, I just don't know if I don't know if commissioners and different leagues would be willing to take that risk. So I, I think that do I see Frontier League the Frontier League moving back into old markets? Well I'm sure there's certain uh fan there's uh there's a fan base there that could that would be interested in such a thing i i don't see it i don't see the frontier league being interested at all in moving back into uh one of their former markets i just don't think that's something you you really see very often and i don't think that'll change yeah i just i think plus now you have enough markets that are open i mean when i mentioned some of the team they when I mentioned some of the markets that the Frontier League or the American Association could go into, Burlington, Jackson, Kane County, Clinton, those are all ones to come to mind. Old Orchard Beach has been discussed. Vermont's certainly up there for them as well. There's a lot of other options for them. And a lot of these old teams that did exist at one point in the Frontier League and no longer do, they still technically have a team. It's just summer collegiate. And if you're an owner... I mean, summer collegiate's a lot cheaper to run than an independent league team. There's just no way around that. You're not paying players. You're just paying a staff on the field, uh, front office staff, and the game day staff. That's all you're paying. In addition to, of course, your your normal uh, baseball ops uh, that you have to pay for too, as well as just maintenance stuff. In the various things that are going to come with owning a baseball team, but cutting player salaries a huge, huge expense cut. I mean, you're saving yourself tens of thousands of dollars a month and a year i mean it's just 
it makes no sense if you have the choice to play independent ball as opposed to summer collegiate when you could have essentially free labor from uh, having college kids there who want to keep their NCAA eligibility. So if you're a team like, let's just use normal, for example, sure, they were successful in the Frontier League. Sure, it was all well and good there. Well, yeah, but you're probably making more money in summer college ball. Because again, to the casual person, do they really care if it's pro ball or college ball? Probably not. They're probably just going out for a night out to do something. So I would say if you lost a team to summer college, you're probably not getting it back. Because if it couldn't work in summer college, it's probably not working in the Frontier League. And then you have examples like River City, like you mentioned, where their issue was they just couldn't get a lease done. Uh, They didn't want to leave. No one wanted to leave. They just couldn't get the lease sorted out. That ownership group said, all right, well, we can't deal with uncertainty. This is our last season. We're done. And then a new group came in, signed a new lease, and now there's a summer college team there. So I would say, and just to kind of wrap up my answer, I already gave mine, but I do agree with a lot of what you said there. I just don't see it happening just because there's economics at play there that makes it kind of stupid to do it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think... you don't you don't really see it too often. Markets going leaving independent ball and then coming back. I I I, I just don't think you'll see it here. Exactly. And and now to question four it does continue on the same theme as uh, the question is: Is the Frontier League interested in returning to Traverse City, uh, Michigan, or London, Ontario? And uh, to just kind of continue on what what we just said here because this will be a fairly quick one to answer. They certainly might be, but it doesn't really matter if they are. It matters. Are the teams and the ownership in the city interested? And uh, I don't really get the sense that either Traverse City or Ontario, London, is uh, interested in it. Uh, the London ballpark looks like it needs some work. Traverse City seems to be happy, you know, not leaving their current setup. And uh, if that's the case, they're not going to leave. I kind of use the example like this because, you know, around trade deadline, whatever sport you see, uh, Team X is interested in acquiring player Y. And I use the example of, well, I'm interested in acquiring a Ferrari. doesn't mean I can. doesn't mean I'm going to. It just means I'm interested in it. Uh, interest only means so much, and in this particular case, it only matters if Traverse City or London is interested, and if they're not, it doesn't go anywhere. And we kind of talked about it in in, in our answer to question three. I, I, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of interest from Traverse City or London, Ontario. I know London, Ontario, it didn't really work too well in the Frontier League to begin with, so I, I don't see, I don't see it London is a, again like this is a at least for for indie ball leagues right now you have so many different options as far as markets you could go into successful markets uh, at that so I, I just don't see why they the frontier league I mean Traverse City that I could see that I, I see this more of a realistic possibility that the frontier league is interested not to say that's going to happen because uh, I don't think it'll happen but the, the frontier league interest i feel like they are interested could be interested in traverse city and going back but i feel like they probably even know that it's not something that's going to realistically happen and london ontario i just there's so many there's so many other places that you would rather uh that the frontier league could would rather go into than than this team in london ontario and i i just i just don't see it there'd be a lot you'd have to put in a lot of money you'd have to drum in a, up a lot of interest in, a, in an experiment that already didn't really work to begin with 
believe the team only lasted like what five years in the in the Frontier League. So I, 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 not even okay. Yeah, so, I, I don't think so. I don't know exactly though. Yeah, so it's it, it's not really uh, it's not like it's an example of a once very successful market that just didn't pan out in the end. I, I just. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't see the Frontier League being interested in returning to London, Ontario, and I don't really see it. Them, I, I think they're, they're more looking into former affiliated markets, primarily as well as Old Orchard Beach and a couple ex- uh, a couple examples like that. So, uh, are they interested in returning to Traverse City or London? I'd say maybe with Traverse City, but not London, and I don't think Traverse City would uh, replicate that interest. So uh, we go to question five. Would having a franchise in Pawtucket help revive the New Britain Bees? Uh, you're kind of the expert on this one. I think I know the answer already, but I'm going to let you take it. Nick, you definitely know wh- where I'm going with this. Yeah. I-, I don't think it doesn't sound like that a, a team, in, an indie ball team is going to move in to Pawtucket. It was much more likely uh, probably around six months ago or uh, maybe no- towards the beginning of the year. It was a real possibility that a team could move into Pawtucket doesn't seem as likely now. Uh, however, if it, let's say it were to happen, a team were to move into Pawtucket, I don't really think that has any impact on the New Britain Bees. Uh, because th- listen, the New Britain Bees at this point are, are a summer collegiate team. Like Nick mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of teams that taste the joys of summer collegiate baseball and you don't have to pay your players specifically New Britain, who needs a lot of money, in my opinion, to to renovate their stadium if they're going to come back to the Atlantic League or the Frontier League. I mean, and, and I think it tells you all you need to know, that the Atlantic League said they, weren't, uh, they, they didn't want to bring a team back to New Britain for 2020, and they still had a year left on that lease. So I, I think it expired. I'm not sure exactly how what, what's going on with the lease in New Britain at this point. I think they had a pretty successful year there, actually, uh, in mm. part due to that that summer collegiate league, the future, the SCBL, being one of the only leagues in the beginning of July that was playing. I don't see if a team were to move into Pawtucket. I don't really to a short. The short answer is I don't really think that has any impact on the New Britain Bees, and I, I don't think the New Britain Bees are either leaving the summer collegiate market. Uh, anytime certainly uh, certainly not going back to 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 be an Atlantic League or a Frontier League franchise. I think we saw that the Frontier League was not really interested in New Britain whatsoever. So I, I, I don't think uh, moving a franchise into Pawtucket really has any impact on, on the New Britain Bees at all, really. Yeah, I'm going to build on that just a little bit, but we'll pretty much hit it on the head. Uh, Pawtucket, what, what Pawtucket can help fix doesn't help New Britain at all. New Britain's problems are totally unrelated. Their issue was the stadium was an issue, uh, ownership was an issue, and attendance was an issue. Those were pr- the problems. Maybe you could say adding Pawtucket would help with uh, attendance, I suppose, but it's not going to get them a new ownership group, and it's not going to get them a new stadium or stadium renovations. That's just not going to happen. And uh, summer college ball does not come back to professional ball very often, uh, like we just said, and uh, moreover, a Pawtucket, I get the sense of, oh, well, one's in New Britain, Connecticut, one's in Rhode Island, in the same region of the country. 
I just don't think that would be a good rivalry, though. I think they're too far away. The cities have nothing much in common. Uh, so there's not really any sort of a traditional rivalry going there. I yeah. think if you were to try and have a rivalry that would help them at all, which, again, that's not the issue here. The issue is ownership and stadium, of which you need a wealthy guy that's willing to dump a lot of money into a team that didn't draw terribly well and a community that lost a team previous to this, you'd probably want Norwich over Pawtucket just because it's closer. There's more marketing you could do. There's more promotional opportunities in general, to be quite honest. Uh, Pawtucket, you're not going to have as many opportunities there. I get where the connection could be made, but I just don't see it there. And uh, I'll go on to Pawtucket in a little bit here. But yeah, I agree with Will. I just don't, I don't think that really is going to make much of a difference in the end. Yeah, and I think you mentioned as far as like they're they're not really traditional rivals. I mean, one played in well, I mean, New Britain was a was a double A team for a long time, and obviously Pawtucket was a was a triple A team for a long time. So I don't really think there's much correlation there. And I think that uh, the other issue with Pawtucket and, and McCoy Stadium specifically is it it definitely needs some renovations. It is a it's a really big stadium. I believe it sits around ten eleven thousand. Which is massive for for a uh, for a independent league. I, I think Ottawa's the only one I can think of that's really in that ballpark. Uh, I don't think Pawtucket and New Britain really have anything to do with each other, to be honest. Yeah, and nah, we'll go into more depth uh, towards the end of the Q and A. There is a question that does ask about Pawtucket. So, uh, uh, with that said, we'll go on to question six, and I'll loop it into question seven because they're closely related here. Uh, number six is: Do you see both Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Lexington, Kentucky becoming independent? And then the second one would be: or question seven would be: What slash how much sense does Chattanooga to the American Association and Lexington to the Frontier League make? Obviously, we got that question before the list was announced. So to answer all the Chattanooga questions, none whatsoever. They're affiliated. <clears throat> yes, correct. Yeah. So Chattanooga, they, they were on the cut list at first. They were rumored for a while. However, the Reds did keep them as a double A affiliate. So uh, had, had they been had they lost their affiliation? Yes, I, I absolutely think that. Uh, an Atlantic League team or a Frontier League team or an American Association team would would really be pushing hard for Chattanooga. However, the Reds did keep them as their AA affiliate, so that really cl- puts that to bed. Lexington, however, Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, who lost their affiliation with the Royals, I think that makes all the sense in the world for the Frontier League. I, I would go as far as saying I am very almost almost positive that the Frontier League is going to look to bring in Lexington, Kentucky at some point. They already have a working relationship with Florence this past year in their little pop-up four-team league. And I, I just think it makes it makes so much sense. You have a team now that's that's close to Florence. Uh, you have a natural rivalry. It, it really does make all the sense in the world to bring in Lexington, Kentucky to the Frontier League. And, and I think and I'm pretty confident to say I, I think you will see it happen in the area. There's a lot of interest in becoming a Frontier League team. Uh, and, and I think it could really, really work. 
uh, as, as a frontier league market. And and I, that's what I expect to see happen. Yeah, I agree entirely. Lexington to the frontier league makes all the sense in the world. They already said they're playing in 21. Uh, the y'all's owner, I believe it was, has a good relationship with them. There was a battle of the bourbon trail this past year. That was a success. I'd be shocked if they weren't in the frontier league at the start of the 21 season. I think that's just a formality at this point in just hammering out the agreement as it stands there. So, uh, uh, there's your answer to your uh, Chattanooga and Lexington questions. We go to question eight. Outside of your insider contacts, where do you and how do you get your information on indie ball? I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna answer this uh, fairly straightforward. I don't really have contacts. Uh, I don't know about Will, but I really don't. Uh, most of my information just comes from DMing players, and uh, I guess technically emailing front office staff and a lot of Google. Just really, you could Google just about anything. It's just knowing what to Google. Right. Yeah. I, I think that as far as uh, I, I wish I had insider contacts, I do that. That would, that'd be really fun if I had it. it oh like, yeah. No, we could be like inside. I know it could be like Pierre Lebrun in hockey and uh, Adrian, Adrian Wojnarowski and in, in the NBA, Ken Rosenthal. I, I, I wish I was like that. I know. Anyway, yeah. uh, but as far as as far as how we we get our information on indie ball, I mean, it, so social media has really helped that. You see a lot of a lot of talk uh, about about indie ball and different when different news pops up. That's kind of how that's kind of how we get it. However, I like Nick. I, I talk to a good amount of players. Sometimes they'll they'll tell me certain things, or um, e- even coaches as well. I'll talk to, or even some. Um, and I even have a, a relationship with some uh, with some front office members of certain teams. So I think that when when, when you're talking about uh, information in that sense, that that's kind of that's kind of where I go. Although it's it's not like I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're insider contacts. I don't really have many of those. But that really just uh, you just make uh, you just make a lot of context throughout the game and in in, in all different aspects. And I think that's how. You, you get uh you can get a lot of uh, get a lot of information that way and just to kind of get a sense of really how the indie ball world works and that's something that I've I've really I've really enjoyed getting to see kind of how the, how the indie ball world works and I and I've had a lot of fun doing that but you know just really just just making contacts with with people all throughout the game I think that's that, that's probably the answer to that. Yeah, and now this community is extremely welcoming. Just about anyone in it. If you ask a question more often than not, they're going to answer you. It really is just going around and asking around, and that's how you get the information. Yeah, It, it gets easier over time. I'll say that much. Uh, it's a lot harder in the beginning. Uh, with that said, we go to question nine. The last question on page one. We have technically three pages of questions here. But uh, what are the streaming options for each league? This is kind of a, a question I put together because I saw a lot of questions asking about what's the streaming options for the Frontier? What's the American Association going to do? What's Atlantic League going to do? So I figured just combine it into one question to condense it for time. AABaseball.tv is still around. That's the American Association's one. It's still going to be around. I assume the price is going to stay the same. Having had any word as to that changing, it may go up a bit because you're going to go from 60 games to 100 games. Technically, actually more than that because, you know, 
each team plays that many games, but I wouldn't expect to see too much of a price increase. It's at $20 as it is. I don't see it going above 35 if that even. I'd be kind of even surprised to see it go up in price. So that's your option for them. Plus, they're going to have their Facebook game of the week where you could watch that as well. Uh, YouTube and Facebook's the option for the USPBL. Uh, if you want to watch their games, that'd be the league out of uh, Utica, New York. Or not Utica, New York. It's Utica, uh, Michigan. They uh, won the place. All their games out of the same ballpark. We talked to Justin Orenduff a while back. If you want to listen to that interview from that league as well, uh, they stream everything on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, the Atlantic League, at least to my knowledge, has yet to announce that they're going to keep doing YouTube streams or piecemeal streams. I imagine at some point they'll probably come up with their own streaming platform, but at this point I expect to see YouTube and uh, Facebook as well from them. And then the Frontier League, which we got a lot of questions about, I emailed around for this one, and the answer I came up with, uh, the Frontier League is making an announcement about this in a couple of weeks, mid-January, so we'll know more then, but it's going to probably almost certainly be all based out of one site in particular. Uh, I would expect to see something like the AABaseball.tv model. However, I wouldn't be shocked either if they said, oh, we're streaming everything on Twitch or something like that. As far as the Atlantic League, because I guess that's the, that's the, the as far as streaming options, that's the one I'm, I'm really familiar with that Nick hasn't already touched on. Hmm. I'd assume I, I'd assume it's YouTube streams until we're told different, although especially with renewed interest in the league. I, I don't, I feel like they, there's an opportunity to make, there's enough interest to make a streaming platform. And I'm, I guess I'm surprised they haven't done it yet. Cause I feel like that's a way for them to make money. Not, mm-hmm. not to say that I don't enjoy the YouTube streams and them for free. Cause I certainly do. Uh, however, I am kind of surprised they haven't done it yet. Uh, and I haven't heard that they're doing it. Uh, I haven't heard that they're doing it next season or the year after or whatever. So until I hear different, I would assume that it's uh, sticking to the same YouTube streams and kind of going team by team. Yeah, I think that'd be a fair assessment there. Uh, number 10, we got our first wise ass question of the day. Uh, when will Indie Ball Report change their name to Partnership Ball Report? The Indie Ball Report is too iconic at this point. We can't change it at this point. I know. It'd be like change the name of Coca-Cola. You, you can't you, really you do that. You just can't do it. it. I know. It's it's established. It, it's a thing now. Once it's a thing, it can never really get changed. So uh, yeah. I'll leave you for that. Uh, next question. Is the Atlantic League in danger of folding? I get this question periodically. I'm sure, Will, you get this a lot more uh, uh, than uh, I do. And I think I can speak for both of us when I say, no, there's a better chance no. of hell freezing over than that happening. No, 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 no. The Atlantic League is not in danger of folding. Just, I understand that losing Somerset and Sugarland is not great for the Atlantic League. However, the Atlantic League is, is the, the most prestigious and most successful league in Indie Ball. Losing Somerset and Sugarland is not going to change that. They have a, still a lot of great markets that... And, and and another one opening up in Gastonia, they're going to add a couple teams. Whether that, then I, I can't say for certain when those teams will start play, but they're going to add teams that have gotten uh, that have got that have lost their that have lost their MLB affiliation. I think Tri City makes a lot of sense. I think uh, I, I think Lowell makes a lot of sense. And, and so, no, the, the Atlantic League is not in danger of folding. If, if if you 
and I understand, listen, I understand a lot of the news about the Atlantic league has been negative in the past couple months because listen, I mean, how, how can you really put a positive spin from an Atlantic league fan perspective of, of teams of really successful teams and teams that brought in a lot of big names leaving? I get that. However, are they in danger of folding? No, like, no, they're just, they're not even in the same, they're not even remotely close in this. And they're not even in the stratosphere of folding, like not even close. And so I think that, um, I understand that there hasn't been a lot of positive news lately as far as, as far as the Atlantic league from the fan perspective, but please just be patient. Like they're going, they're going to add teams. They know what they're doing. When you look at, the Atlantic league in two, three years from now, it's going to be at least an 18 league. They're going to be just fine. It, it, it's just, I know change is kind of scary, but they will be that they are not in danger of folding whatsoever. Well put. And that doesn't even include the possible Alabama markets of mobile. And right. I forgot to comment on Huntsville, but I really do like that as a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I like I, that. I, I think that work. stadium could work. I think there's enough interest, but, uh, that's a, that's another comment for another day. If we could do a whole, whole special on that. Regardless, we continue on to the second of really three straight Atlantic League questions. And this one's perfect for you. So I'll let you take the full lead on this. Wondering what Somerset's defection will mean for Brett Jody and his staff. I will just say quickly before I, I give it over to you, I think defection's a bit of a strong word, even if it is technically correct. I, I think that's a little strong of a of a word. Yeah, I, I think, listen, I mean, obviously Somerset made the move. And I guess, even though I'm not sure, 100% sure if this question was, was referencing it, I, I, I think it's important to say uh, in the Somerset front office, their front office will be remain exactly the same. Their GM is going to be exactly the same. Mark Schwartz is still the broadcaster. Uh, ev- everybody in the Somerset front office will remain exactly the same in this transition. Unfortunately, uh, as far as Brett Jody and John Hutton and Chuck Stewart and, and Fox Buyer, uh, I apologize if I'm missing if I'm missing anyone. Uh, I think, unfortunately, that's kind of the casualty uh, of the move from indie ball to uh, to double A ball. Just because at the end of the day, next year the the New York Yankees will have full say in who the manager of Somerset is, who the coaching staff, who the hitting coach, pitching coach, uh, and, and whatnot. They, the, the New York Yankees will have full and complete say in that. And as great of a manager as Brett Jody is, as, as, as good as John Hutton is at his job, unfortunately, they obviously will not be back in Somerset next year. And pretty much that just means they're going to be, they're, they're essentially free agents. They're free to do, uh, they're free to, to explore any other options in baseball or out of baseball if they, if they don't want to as well. However, I, I know for a fact that, that I guess John Hunton is definitely looking for, uh, for jobs in baseball. I know he's still a pretty young guy as far as uh, being a manager or coach is concerned, considering he didn't finish playing, playing not too long ago, like 2017 or something. Yeah, right so, right. So he, he's not, he, he's still, his coaching career is still getting started. Brett Jody and John Hutton are, are very, very good at their jobs. They will have no problem getting a job in, in either independent league ball or maybe affiliated ball, but certainly there will be lots of, uh, there will be, certainly there will be lots of 
interest in them and interest in their services. I know uh, rumors that have been flying around about because Brett Jody does live in South Carolina in the off season. Does him taking the job in Gastonia make sense? I think Gastonia. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm not really close to Brett Jody or anything like that, but I'm not sure if Brett Jody is definitely interested. Like, that's not me saying he's not. I, like, seriously, I, I I don't know if he's interested. However, Gastoni would be dumb not to give him a call. Like, that's certainly uh, a call worth making. That if you can bring in Brett Jody, you bring in you you bring you bring in Brett Jody at least for an interview. I'm not sure who else that they're interviewing other than the one candidate we've, we've already kind of talked about. Yeah. So as far as, as far as Brett Jody and his staff, that's kind of the unfortunate uh, casualty of the move to from independent ball to affiliated ball. However, I don't think they'll have any problem uh, getting another job in, in indie ball because of their track record. And that's, and they, they'll be, they'll be completely fine. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I agree with all that, and that's exactly right. They'll, find another job they're talented enough to do that the only thing i want to add is i did see a rumor or at least heard one going around that maybe jody could go to uh lynchburg with the hillcats i did remember hearing that yeah i i'll tell you more about where i heard that from off air but yeah i heard that going around okay yeah interesting so uh, with that we go to the final the three uh atlantic league centric questions in a row <clears throat> do you think that rockland will go to the atlantic league I've said this in the past. I think they're interested in it. There's enough pointing to them being interested in a move. Obviously, Will's been not shy about saying how much he wants Rockland in the Atlantic League. I don't think that's changed. I'm sure he'll confirm that in a moment. But um, I do think it'd be a little, <clears throat> a little bit of a ways away at this point, just because they got the partnership with the Frontier League. And the MLB now, uh, they seem to be happy in the Frontier League, at least for the time being. So I think it would be at least a couple of years out before anything like that would happen. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think that as much as I would absolutely positively love Rockland uh, moving to the Atlantic League, I think that now with the Frontier League partnership and the Frontier League to be honest with you, to be honest with you, Nick, and to all the listeners out there, I, I think the Frontier League now is in, a, is in the best position it's ever been in before. So I know it's a pretty big statement, but I really do think that I, I don't think the Frontier League has ever been in a better position than they are now. So, and, and as much as I would love Rockland into the into the uh, Atlantic League, I think now you're probably looking at maybe if this partnership between the frontier league and major league baseball doesn't work as we all think it will then i guess that that avenue of rockland to the atlantic league certainly could make sense i mean location stadium it it it, it would be a great front uh, atlantic league market but i think with the frontier league's reputation being at an all all-time high i don't see it happening now uh unless I, I yeah i really don't see it happening now and if maybe down the road if the f partnership doesn't work out how i think it will but at the moment no I, I don't i don't see it happening anytime soon yeah i think that's the the best way of putting it so we go to question 14 and question 15 they're kind of related so i guess i'll kind of combine them uh 14 who do you want to get on the show question 15 how do you get people on the show I'll let you take the lead on 14, seeing as 15 is kind of more my domain. Uh, so I'll let you take the lead on that. 
Yeah, I mean, as far as who 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 do uh, who do I want to get on the show? I mean, I, I love getting. In my opinion, I love getting a really diverse set of people in baseball to really kind of give their experiences. And, and I think that the show does a pretty good job of that. What, I mean, you, you look at, you look at coaches, uh, you look at, um, you look at people who work in front offices. I mean, God, you work at league commissioners. I mean, th- there's, I love, cause there's obviously many parts that make indie ball what it is. And I think that I love getting all those perspectives uh, and, and the players as well. So uh, it's hard for me to point out any names uh, because I know, I, I mean, I have a couple in my head. Really, I, I love bringing on coaches. I love the coaches are probably my favorite to bring on, to be honest with you. I, I like kind of picking their brains about baseball and indie ball because they've, they've been around it for, for a lot longer. I think in the case of players, you don't see guys that are around indie balls as, as, as much. However, I, I really think that, honestly, any coaches, bringing on coaches, I, I think that, to me, that is the most interesting interview to conduct. And as a listener, because believe it or not, back in the day, I was I was just an avid listener of the Indie Ball Report before being before becoming the co-host, and, and I always enjoyed their conversations w- with coaches as well. So, and I I love getting on really anybody that works around uh, around Indie Ball, but probably my favorite I would say is probably coaches. That's just me. I want to point out this podcast promotes from within. So anything's possible once you get your foot in the door. You start as a listener, you become a co-host. Anything's possible, really. Uh, Personally, I like talking to the front office types the most, obviously, as you could kind of tell by the trend in which the guys I book, because I'm just really interested in like the more business aspect of it. I think that comes across also in a lot of questions I ask. Obviously, in 21, we're going to try and diversify that a bit more like will was saying uh i recognize we've gotten really heavy on the uh, kind of front office types and the team officials so hopefully we'll toss in a couple more players and some coaches and whatnot in in 21 there we'll look to do that certainly uh i almost like to try and get them during the season obviously it's a lot busier for them but it'd be a lot more interesting to be able to talk to them about you know actual on the field stuff and not just hypothetical like oh what do you do here here and here but have pointed questions and it works a lot better because you know just vague solid questions that you could ask to any coach they're not really that fun after the third coach to be quite honest because there's a limited amount of answers but if you're asking in-season questions oh well now now it becomes a lot more interesting because you get a lot more uh, diversity in the answer itself uh, that said, for me, there are three names in particular that I would love to have on. Uh, obviously, they're difficult to get on, and hopefully uh, in 21 we can get at least one of the three on. If we could get two, I'd be over the moon. If we got three, I just don't know where we'd go from there. Uh, but in no particular order, the top three that I would like to have on would be Rick White, uh, Miles Wolf and Frank Bolton. Obviously, Rick White's like the lone commissioner of the major independent leagues we have yet to have on. So I'd love to get that. Plus a lot of, lot of action over the last what, three years in the Atlantic League. So I'd love to be able to, even if it's only a half hour, uh, just be able to break down all of, all of that or as much of it as possible. I'm sure, uh, Will being the main Atlantic League guy here, uh, would be over the moon if we were able to get him on. Uh, okay. but, 
Yeah. Uh, Miles Wolf is like one of the founders of independent league baseball. He's the guy that really kicked everything off here. So for more of just a history element of it and being able to talk to him like you worked in affiliated ball, then you kind of started independent league ball. What made you do that? What were some of the challenges you faced along the way? And just being able to pick his brain about all of that. Because again, the business end of things is really fascinating to me. But just starting a league from scratch, starting a whole really an, or, an unorthodox idea, something that hadn't been attempted in two decades, really, and certainly never really on the scale from what Miles Wolf did. I just love to talk to him on that front alone. And I mean, he owned a team as recently as what was it, uh, 2019 with the Ottawa Champions. So yeah. to be able to talk about like it just that alone, I'd really love to talk to him about that. And then Frank Bolton, obviously, he's really the grandfather of the Atlantic League. He's the guy that's, you know, how many teams does he have his hands involved in? How many teams has he kept afloat? Obviously, now he holds probably the most prestigious Atlantic League team in Long Island. And even before that, you can make an argument for Long Island. Uh, but he just is another guy that he's always on the ground. He's always working to expand the league. He's always working for the benefit of the league. He's just, he's another guy that I think would be really fascinating just to talk to and, and just kind of pick his brain about. Right. I, 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 I definitely agree with all that. Yeah. Uh, so then I guess I'll get to the second half of that, which is how do we get yeah. guests on? A lot of times it's just finding their contact information. That's either through LinkedIn, through the team website, through the league website, asking around for contact information from people that know so like friend of a friend or co-worker of a friend uh just doing things like that and then just emailing them uh i have yet to cold call somebody i just don't think that's uh the best way of getting them onto a podcast like hey i just cold called you you don't know me from adam but i want you to come on my podcast it's not really great and emails more formal so normally it's that or it's through dming them and just kind of bugging them uh like i said a lot of people in the community are very welcoming so if you just shoot them an email explain who you are um i normally throw a link to the website and show look this isn't anything that's that's a fly-by-night operation here we've been at this for quite some time we're legitimate we have a list of other people that have come on the show we'd like you to come on if the answer is no the answer is no but at the same time, we think it'd be beneficial for everybody to have you on. And normally they agree to come on in some form or another. Uh, I only had one individual tell me no. And that one just directed me to someone else in the league. And then we got them on. So, uh, again, we've, we've had a great amount of success getting people on and it's really just asking them. That's how it gets done. Yep. So, uh, uh we go to number 16 what are your 2021 plans we discussed this a little bit just now we discussed it a little bit in the beginning um as of right now it's a lot of what we've been doing already a weekly podcast occasional articles uh we're gonna try and get more interviews in there we're gonna try and get more players and coaches in there um obviously we got a decent amount of players that are like hey can i come on the show can i come on the show can i come on the show all these various things and it's you need to find interesting people to have on the show. Like, I just don't want to bring on some random dude who's going to talk about how they can throw 95 and have a good breaking ball. I, I want to talk uh, to someone that has something of interest to say. You know, they either have uh, something that makes them unique, something that makes them stand out. Uh, they've had a really cool experience. They've been an independent ball for a while. There may be a, 
a guy that has major league service time or whatever it may be that makes them stand out. That's what I want. I just don't want some random dude coming on the show. I don't think that'd be that interesting. I think you need someone that has something to say on the show. Uh, Likewise, same thing with coaches. You just don't want some random coach that just started coaching this year. You want someone that's been coaching for a little bit or someone that has a a history with – something outside of baseball and how it translates to really comes down to just getting more interesting people on regardless of what they do. Um, and uh, another thing I was kind of interested in doing is maybe doing some more live streaming, uh, maybe changing up the show a little bit to throw maybe a post credit thing in there. Um, maybe trying to revive the YouTube channel a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of kind of outtakes from the shows. I, I will certainly notice from when he hears the final product from what we recorded, they're normally oh, yeah. a bit different. I have to sometimes cut things out for time or, uh, or just a kind of rants that we go on in the middle of things that don't really make sense in the show and breaks up the flow. I got to take them out, but they're still good. So I don't want to just get rid of them. So I toss them somewhere in the computer to be brought out again. I have like 20 of those things that need to go up somewhere. So uh, maybe some <laughs> outtakes uh, will happen. But uh, by and large, nothing major, just a lot more interesting people on the show, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I, I, agree. I agree. I'm not sure how much I could, how much I could really add to that. But pretty, pretty much, yeah, I mean, we're just looking for interesting people to bring on the podcast and bring you guys some great content. And uh, that's what we've done in 2020. And that's what I know we will continue to do in uh, 2021. Yeah, and so with that, I think we've kind of moved off of the uh, questions personal to us, and we can move on to question number 17. We're over halfway done with this. We only have like uh, about five or six questions left, actually. Uh, How long until the term indie ball becomes obsolete and gets replaced by MLB partner ball? Uh, It's kind of officially, like in press releases and things like that, been replaced. Um it's still going to be relevant for a while. We're still going to call it indie ball. Fans are still going to call it indie ball. And to be quite honest, a lot of people in the front offices and that work for the teams and leagues, they still call it indie ball too. It's just kind of established that way. So technically speaking, you shouldn't use it, I don't think. But uh, nobody really has that set in stone yet. Yeah, I, I think it'll take a few. It's It'll take a few years. I don't know if the term MLB partner league ball is going to be, it's probably, I don't know what, partner league, partner league ball. Probably like just, partner ball. Partner ball. I mean, I, I don't know. It just sounds odd. There's, there's nothing that, that rolls off the tongue like indie ball. So yeah. I, I think that, I don't know. I, I think, I think indie ball is going to stick around for a little bit. I know like you mentioned in press releases and and they talk about, in different articles it's referenced as partner leagues which is it's which is the the proper term as of now however i don't know the, the term indie ball has been so ingrained i don't know if i could just like just leave it and just start talking about partner ball because of an affiliation that well i mean uh the partner league affiliation is important but it doesn't really change what i see on the field which is at the end of the day what i care about the most so I, I don't know. I feel like indie balls. It'll be around for a few more years. I think. Yeah, I don't think the terms ever going to really go out of style. I think people are just going to, you know, kind of keep calling it that. So uh, with that, uh, question eighteen: Where do you see indie ball in two to three years? Um, I think it's going to be different, but yet extremely familiar. 
I think you're going to see a lot more teams. I think one of the major things you're going to see that's different is fewer contracts are going to be purchased because there's, well, fewer affiliated clubs. And the way the structure all works now or how Major League Baseball wants it to work isn't exactly conducive to buying contracts. Still, if you perform and you're a top five player in the league, it, for any given stretch, you have a good shot getting your contract bought, bought from a uh, the indie club or partner club, we just had this discussion, so I'm calling it indie clubs. Uh, you still have a shot at it, but I think you're going to see fewer contracts getting purchased, at least at the volume from which uh, they happen in the past. Uh, that said, I like I said, I think it's going to be a lot more of the same. Uh, I don't think you're going to see radically too much change. It's baseball, after all. You're going to see more branding with Major League Baseball. You're going to see a lot more uh, teams, like I mentioned. You're going to see. Maybe some in-season tournaments. Who knows? But uh, I think you're going to see a really just a familiar product with slight differences that are going to be distinct. In the terms of two to three years, I think you'll see you'll obviously see new teams, especially specifically teams that have lost their affiliation with, with major and minor league baseball. I think you'll probably see more teams. I think in the Atlantic League. I mean, in 2024 or whatever. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the Atlantic League is a 10 to 12 team league at that point. Uh, I think that uh, I, I don't. And then the Frontier League, I think after this round of expansion, I can't see them expanding too much more because, I mean, it's already a massive league. Uh, and the American Association, you can see a little bit as well. So I think as far as what else, I, I think Nick is right in the sense that there's going to be. Actually, I'll, I'll disagree slightly. I think there will be less contracts purchased from leagues like the American, excuse me, the American, the Atlantic League, and the American Association. However, I think, I think you you'll see the same, if not more, from the Frontier League because of the the fewer rounds of the draft and Frontier League teams looking for rookies are going to be all over that. Are, are all over those guys that would have been drafted in the 21st, 22nd, 23rd round. And you see all the time that those guys have a chance that are, uh, they're talented enough to potentially make the big leagues one day. And the Frontier League is now the place for them to showcase their talents. So I, I think as far as the Atlantic League and the American Association, which generally, uh, which generally pertains to uh, older guys, more veteran guys, uh, even though that's, the the quality of play might be higher. I, I, I think that you'll probably see less because there's each team le less contracts purchased because each MLB team has less affiliates and they're they're going they're not going to want to spend that uh, spend one of those spots that are also that are also valuable now uh, on a guy he as, as good as he might be while well, he's 29 30 31 years old. So mm -hmm. I, I think that. And so for those two leagues, I think you'll see less. Frontier League, I think you'll see the same, if not more. You'll see a, a very increased level of scouting in the Frontier League that I think you've never seen before. And there's going to be MLB teams. They're going to be looking for those guys who slipped through the cracks in the 20-round draft that are showing out in the Frontier League, specifically those rookies. And those guys will get shots in MLB organizations. So I think as far as the, the player contracts purchased, American Association and Atlantic League, I think you will see less. Frontier League, I think you could, I, I think I feel pretty comfortable in saying that there will be more. You know, I hadn't thought of that with the younger players and how that would work. But that 
That is a good point. I didn't think of. Uh, I could definitely see that happening. I wonder how the Pioneer League is going to work because technically they're a partner league now too. So yeah, I wonder, I, th- I wonder about that. I, I think they're pretty much how I view it. It's is just business as I, usual. I, well, I, I kind of view it in as the Frontier League is going as far as as far as the rookies. Uh, and using up those rookie slots, I think the Frontier League will be taking the best guys who don't get drafted and everyone else who still wants to play will go to the Pioneer League. I think I view the Pioneer League as, as probably a step above the Pecos League and the, and the Pacific Association. And so I, I would say that um, I, I, that's kind of where I see the Pioneer League fitting in here. See, I kind of put the Pioneer League on the same plane as the USPBL. And actually, yeah, that goes to the next question, which is what will be the top indie leagues now that the American Association, Frontier League, and Atlantic League are affiliated? I kind of put the – first off, also, I want to correct this off the bat. Uh, those leagues are not affiliated. They're partner leagues now. They are not totally independent, although they're basically indie leagues. It's essentially business as usual, but they are not affiliated. Their rosters are not stocked by major league clubs their coaching staffs are not stocked by major league clubs they are still all responsible for that they just get to use the mlb logo amongst other things uh they're not affiliated though that's a key distinction to make uh but kind of building off of what i was saying i kind of put the pioneer league on the same level as the uspbl in the sense that they're both probably going to wind up having whatever the frontier league doesn't get and uh i do wonder if the USPBL's approach is going to be, because it's definitely more tech forward, it's definitely more advanced, I do wonder if that's going to uh, give them an edge over the Pioneer League. That's possible, although I, I, you got to wonder how much that the MLB partnership kind of... Um, kind of puts priority on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's kind of what I see. And as far as far as the question, what will be the top indie league... I, I guess it depends on it, assuming that the question that the person who asked the question means the top level, like the like the best level talent, yeah. like the best level of talent. Mm. I would say it's still the Atlantic League because uh, a lot of guys in the Atlantic League. I've said it over and over again. It's not that that they're in the Atlantic League, not because of how much talent they have, but because of their age or an injury. And unfortunately, we've gotten to the point now where in double AA, A, triple A, there's trying, the teams are, are, are kind of almost given up on, on prospects once they hit 25, 26 years old. And then unfortunately, that's kind of where they, that, that's where they fall into the, into the Atlantic League market because they're not really, I mean, a guy who's made double A and is 25 or 26 years old is not really, really looking to go to like a, a league like the frontier league but a league like the america like the american association or atlantic league yes but as far as like the level of play i think the atlantic league is still uh I, I think the atlantic league is still definitely the best and i think and i don't see that changing yeah i i'm gonna answer as though we kind of meant to uh, all level of play as well uh, 1A is the Atlantic League. I think the American Association is going to go to 1B. Now, there's going to be a lot more guys that are going to be looking for jobs and fewer contracts getting purchased. The Atlantic League is still going to be the top one, but I don't think the American Association is going to be that far behind. Uh, then the Frontier League, 
I put USPBL, but the Pioneer League could easily surpass that. If they're talking about leagues that do not have a partnership, because that could also be what they're going for, I would probably say USPBL is at the one spot, Empire at the two, uh, Paco, or Pacific Association at the three, and Pecos at the four would probably be my guess. There's going to be a bunch of other small circuit leagues, but until you're around for five years or more, I don't really consider you a real league. You need to prove some legitimacy by sticking around for a little bit there. I guess that answers that one. Uh, we go now to the final uh, bit of questions here. The last one on page two. Did Ottawa miss out by not naming their team the Miners? Another funny guy. Uh, yes. Yes, they did. They certainly did. Yeah, they did. We could have had a whole small tournament between the Ottawa Miners, the Southern Illinois Miners, and the Sussex uh, County Miners. Hopefully, when Clinton gets added, they also turn into the Miners. Maybe the Wheat Miners or something along those lines. Yeah. I agree. I think that I think Ottawa definitely missed out on an opportunity to name their team the Miners. We could have had lots of fun that way, but I guess we'll have to settle for two Miners. Uh, question 21. Will the Frontier League have an eighth team in the Midwestern Division for 2021? If so, what is the leading market? Probably, most likely Lexington. We talked about this almost an hour ago now, but um, yeah, it's probably going to be Lexington. Yeah, I, I think that as far as will the Frontier League have an eighth team in the Midwestern Division, uh, I would say, um, I mean, almost certainly yes. I mean, because you, you added Ottawa to the Can-Am side or whatever they want to call it now. Mm. But uh, they added Ottawa. They got to add someone to the other side. I think Lexington definitely works. And I think if you add a team like uh, like a Vermont on the on the the Can-Am side for the for the Frontier League, I think you adding a team like Clinton Iowa on the other side would absolutely makes a lot of sense. So as far as will the Frontier League have an eighth team in the Midwestern Division, almost certainly the answer is yes. Yeah, and, and I think I think those markets Lexington is is almost is almost definitely going to be uh, a market there, and I think Clinton Iowa makes a lot of sense if they add somebody else on the uh, Can-Am side. Yep, I'd even throw uh, Kane County in there too because Kane yeah. County's like, at least on a map, it looks like 15 minutes away from Schaumburg, and Whitney okay. City's not terribly far either in Crestmont. So you'd have three teams all within like a half hour. So yep. the Chicago metro area would look like the New York metro area with their three teams. So I definitely yep. could see uh, something like that working out really, really well. But uh, yeah, no, they'll definitely have an eighth team in uh, 2021 uh, unless something major happens, but. Uh, even if they don't have that team in 21, they'll have it in 22, possibly even more in 22. Uh, we go now to our question number 22, which <clears throat> is the one that referenced Pawtucket from earlier. Besides Staten Island, what league or leagues do you think Vermont, Tri-City, Norwich, and even Pawtucket will end up in in the near future? Uh, I'm going to take the lead on this one, and uh, then I'll hand it off to Will. Vermont Frontier League, that seems to be kind of an open secret at this point. Uh, Tri-City, I think the Atlantic League winds up taking it. However, I think the Frontier League is going to make a nice solid push, but I just don't see them getting it done. I think the Atlantic League there makes an awful lot of sense. Plus, it, like I said, you can't replace Somerset, but it definitely takes their spot, at least for now, and helps you out on that one side of the line. Um, and you throw Gastonian on the other side to kind of... Uh, fill in the gap for uh, Sugarland. you can make, you could get by for this year and then kind of figure everything else out as you go along. It buys you time and that's certainly the way you go about it. Uh, Norwich, 
Frontier League or Summer Collegiate or nothing. I think that's probably the best. I've heard a lot of conflicting things about that ballpark. I could see that FCBL possibly for Norwich. There's a lot of teams in Connecticut there already. And if you add Norwich to it, you continue to build rivalries. It stays regional and everything uh, kind of falls into place there. Maybe the Frontier League wants to go into Connecticut, but if they didn't want New Britain, I don't think Norwich is going to be that interesting to them either. And like I said, there's other markets they could go into uh, that they probably got their gaze on, uh, at least on this side of the line. Plus, we know they want to go into Canada. And uh, assuming London's out of the fold, there's probably other Canadian markets that are prioritized ahead of Norwich. Uh, and then there's Pawtucket, where I think it's safe to say there's going to be nothing there or a summer collegiate at best. But even that's a, a far stretch here. McCoy's just got a lot of issues at the moment. I don't think they're going to give the money to put it back into working order. I kind of expect it to be redeveloped, to be quite honest. I'm pretty much in full agreement here. I think the Vermont Screams Frontier League, I think it's a great option for for the Frontier League. It, ideally, I think for, for the Frontier League next year, obviously they've already added Ottawa. And then I think if you add Lexington, Vermont, and Clinton, I think you have an outstanding Frontier League for next season and years to come. So I, I think I think Vermont to the Frontier League makes all the sense in the world. It's a great fit. And I think that that's where Vermont will end up. Tri-City, I think, is absolutely an Atlantic League market. I think you're right. The the Frontier League might make a, a push for it. However, I think I think Tri-City is a really good option for the Atlantic League. They have a great fan base there. And, and I think that they'll appreciate the uh, the elevated level of play. I mean, you're, because they were a New York Penn League team, it's definitely a, a significant upgrade uh, in, in the talent on the field to, to the Atlantic League. I think Tri-City to the Atlantic League makes a lot of sense, and I think that's where they'll end up being. Norwich, I agree. I don't think that the Frontier League or the Atlantic League is going to be that interested in them. I don't think the attendance is there. Uh, and I think that when they changed their names to the Norwich Sea Unicorns ahead of last year, I think that was kind of a like a last-ditch effort to try and drum up some interest there. I, I, I don't really think there's much. I think I think you're absolutely right as far as the SCBL could really um, could make sense for Norwich to go into. So that because I mean they form another Connecticut team with New Britain, it makes a lot of sense there. And Pawtucket, I agree. I think there's too many issues with the stadium now. I'm not going to completely close the book on the future. However, McCoy needs a lot of work, and then I think we can have that discussion. Exactly. It really comes down, for Pawtucket at least, what happens with the McCoy site. I really looked up everything, and I could not find any movement on that front. And I think they're leaning towards wanting to build a soccer stadium. I'm not sure that's been agreed to yet or not. And mm -hmm. if they're going to build a soccer stadium, either that means McCoy's going to be completely terraformed into that, or he's going to be teared torn down and something's going to be put in its place here and i mean it's an old stadium and that's kind of its appeal and why people want to save it to be quite honest uh and because it's definitely unique too and it has history to it of course but uh when you look at it from a practical standpoint there's a lot of drawbacks there and like will was saying you need you need to renovate it to really make any sort of progress on it because just from a practical standpoint recruiting players to bad ballparks is extremely difficult and as we kind of saw with New Britain on that on that area as well, it became kind of difficult uh, in that sense. So I, I think I think if the city of Pawtucket is committed to bringing 
baseball back and they put some renovations into the stadium, absolutely the Atlantic League should be interested or, or any other independent league for that matter. I, I just don't think in its present state, it's, it's a really great, it's a great idea. Exactly. Just the way the trade winds blow, it doesn't look good for them. So yeah, that's how that shapes out. Now we finally got to the end of the Q&A. We got about an hour and a half out of this. So I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Plus, we still got a little bit else to discuss before we wrap up the show. But we should probably finish this Q&A first with the final question. We got this fairly recently. It was one of the last minute additions, but it was added nonetheless. What indie league will have the most talented players and will be the most sought out for Major League Baseball? Uh, that's kind of a two-parter and has two different answers to it. The most talented one will be the Atlantic League still, or the American Association. It's really a regional difference. People in the Midwest will say American Association. People on the East Coast will say Atlantic League. I think it's barely comparable, but I probably side with the Atlantic League. Just history-wise, they've had better players, and they are going to be able to attract better players. I just see that being the case. Uh, regardless, what won't be the most sought after? Probably the Frontier League, like Will said, we talked about this uh, not terribly long ago now, like, what, 10 minutes ago? You're going to want younger players. Those slots in the upper levels for your AAA and even AA teams are going to belong to, you know, your early to mid-20-year-olds that are getting ready or should be making the show in, like, 24 months' time. It, that's really where I expect to see it. it goes back to those changes that we saw, which are older guys probably aren't getting the contract purchased as much. Uh, that said, if I was a player, which I think it was a player that asked this, I would still want to play in the Atlantic League out of all of them because I believe they pay the most money. And mm -hmm. the one benefit to playing in the Atlantic League, even as an older guy, well, you may not get a major league contract or, an, or a minor league contract. There's still a lot of foreign contracts out there that will get purchased. Oh, yeah. So you could go play a half season in Mexico or a half season in Korea or a half season in Japan and still make good money on that and allow you to keep your dream alive for a little bit longer. Plus, you play foreign baseball. It helps your resume. And then you could even transition into coaching. And a lot of the Atlantic League teams, they, they're they willing to work with you to get you to stay in the organization, especially if you've been there for a while and you've built up yourself in that organization. I mean, just like at Somerset, how many of their players transitioned either into a front office role or... Or even in the case of Hunton and I believe even Jody, I believe he pitched for them for quite some time too. Yeah. They wound up being a manager and a pitching coach. So it's certainly possible there. I'd still say if you're a player, you want to be in the Atlantic League or the American Association, and then you kind of go from there. Nick, I 100% agree with what you said. I think both sought out by MLD teams. I think it'll be the Frontier League. Uh, I'm not going to go over it again, but I mean yeah. that just because you're 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 really looking for those rookies that you missed out on the draft. As far as the most talented players, I think that'll be I think that is still the Atlantic League, uh, and I think that you're 100% correct when you say that purchases from MLB teams might go down. The the purchases of Atlantic League players from leagues in Mexico and Taiwan and uh, and Korea and Japan those are not changing. The, those are those are not changing, and those are outstanding options. And I think that if you perform, there will be an opportunity in Mexico where you get a significant 
paycheck. And and I know, I believe, I, th- I want to say it was Corey Reardon uh, was on Mike Ashmore's podcast a while back. And he said that his half season that he was, he got picked up from Somerset and was able to pitch in, uh, or excuse me, not Somerset, he got picked up out of Bridgeport and was, uh, was able to pitch in Taiwan. It helped him pitch. It helped him uh, continue to play pro baseball for another two seasons because the money was so great out there. So I think a hundred percent, if you have the choice of which league you'd like to play in, Atlantic League is still is still the option for for guys who are on the, a little bit on the older side, hundred yep. percent. And so with that, we are officially out of questions here. I think there's a little bit of news I've seen so far, but none of it was really that important or that breaking of news. So we'll just wind up covering that in the first show of 21. I guess with this, uh, seeing as it is the last show of 2020, uh, I guess this is kind of the part here where we should. Just kind of recap the year a little bit. Uh, not so much in news and everything. That could be done next week. I'm sure we'll not have that much breaking news to go over. Uh, but just uh, just kind of reviewing the whole year as the show goes on. That's kind of what these Q&A episodes are good for. I always like doing them too because you get a good pulse on the audience itself. And I just want to say, uh, obviously, thank you to everyone that's been listening the whole year. Whether you've listened for one episode or... I guess it'd be like all 50 of them to this point, 52 of them plus bonus episodes. Obviously, it's been a huge year. There was a co-host change being the most obvious of them. Uh, Obviously, we started doing interviews. We started really picking up the content as a whole. Uh, The show started really getting a lot more views than it had been in the past. And obviously, we set some single-day highs recently for plays and everything. So just overall for the support, uh, whatever contribution you gave, whether it be following on social media, just listening to one episode, listening to all of them, uh, or whatever it was that you did to uh, contribute to, to us getting to this point, uh, thank you very, very much for that. I definitely second that. Thanks wouldn't wouldn't even be strong enough because I, I really do appreciate uh, how much you guys, how passionate you guys are about about indie ball, and and it, and it really shows. So, I, I, that from wherever you're listening from, I know we have uh, from people people who are listening uh, in all areas of of the U.S. and Canada and everywhere and other places around the world. So, that th- really, really appreciate you guys listening and following along with the show. Yep, absolutely there. So uh, I guess that's just the the seasonal thing to say at the moment. And we do really, really do appreciate it. And we're looking forward to 21. Uh, There's going to be a lot of good content coming up there. And uh, on that note, I guess we've we've kind of reached the natural end of the episode. I don't think there's terribly much else to do besides the plugs and just adding things on at the end here. It's funny. Normally, this would be like a really long show from where we even started the year at, where if you went over an hour, it normally didn't go more than like an hour and 10. But now it seems like we don't hit two hours. It's like, oh, well, it's short. In any case, uh, if you want to follow the show, you could do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do so at ALPB underscore news. Or you can do so at IndieBallReport. You can find the podcast wherever you find podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, apparently Deezer. Uh, a slew of other things. Really, just look us up on Google and you'll see everything that we got. You'll also find our website there, IndieBallReport.com. There's articles there. There's previous episodes. <clears throat> I know we referenced the Justin Orenduff episode. You could go back into the archives, listen to that one. You could catch up on any podcast you missed this year. You'll have like 
shit, you'll have like 70 hours of content to listen to, but you could do that, I guess. It's a, it's an option, certainly, for you to do. Uh, if you have nothing else better to do over this holiday week, you can do that. Uh, you can also read articles, like I mentioned there, and a, the handful of YouTube videos that exist there, and hopefully we'll have uh, some more Indie Ball outtakes coming out uh, sooner than later. And with that said, uh, do we have anything else left to add? You know, my one thing left to add is Rutgers basketball is still undefeated and number 11 in the country, so I'm very happy about that. That's my one thing to add. Always with the Rutgers with this fella. So, uh, let's see here. I'm debating here. Should this be the week I do the Wonka rant, or should that be for the new year? Because I got three. Let's save, let's, save, let's save it for the new year. I think that's something to look forward to. All right. So, y'all, y'all will get that next week. That means I'm going to take the one off the top of the pile here. And go with my thing about dog breeds that I pushed last week. So I decided, because why not, to rank the top five dog breeds. And so I will give you the three honorable mentions I have in between numbers two and one. But we're going to obviously, because this is a ranking thing, start at five and work our way up. Number five, I got Border Collies. I am a, a bit of a fan of them. The smaller dog, in my opinion. Uh, they are very high strung, but they do have a nice look to them. And they are very fun in that sense. Uh, number four, uh, Newfoundlands. They are essentially black St. Bernards. They are very big dogs. These things weigh like 120 pounds. I only weigh like 145 pounds. So this thing could probably take me in a fight. And I could probably put a saddle on it and ride it. Uh, but they are very nice. They just slobber a lot. And there's a lot of fur. So uh, still, they are very great dogs. Uh, they are in that fourth spot. But you got to respect the St. Bernard. They go in at the three spot. Uh, they are also a very big dog. We all know them. They're the ones with like the little canteen around their neck uh, and all the movies and whatnot. Uh, again, similar to the Newfoundland, a uh, great dog, big dog. Uh, the kind of dog where it climbs up next to you at night, you will start sweating because they will be throwing off a lot of heat. Again, a lot of slobber, but big dog, big, big uh dog fam uh number two of uh, the german shepherd i am a big german shepherd fan i think they look very sleek uh they're very loyal they're what you look for in a dog um sure they can be a bit aggressive if not trained correctly but they are also very protective in that sense and that goes a long way with me uh i am just a big fan of german shepherds uh before we get to number one honorable mentions being uh, labrador retrievers uh, only downside with them is as they age, they look like fat old men. So that's definitely a strike against them. Uh, beagles, again, a downside with them is they bark and howl an awful lot. But they are kind of cute. So I definitely give them that. And then the flat coat retriever, which is like a black golden retriever, which still, they look very sleek, very nice dogs. But unfortunately, they do not hold a candle to the number one on this list, which is the golden retriever. I'm a big golden retriever fan. As Will probably knows from the first time he was on this show, uh, I do have two golden retrievers. So uh, a bit biased here, but a golden retriever is just, they're the king of the dog breed, really. Uh, they're one of the most popular breeds, but they can do a bunch of things. They can do the search and rescue. They can do... Uh, therapy dog they can do uh, a bunch of various detection dogs uh, plus they are just uh, they have a lot of personality and that's what i look for in a dog i like a lot of personality in a in a dog and golden retrievers are probably the most likely breed to flip you off 
uh, if you don't give them what they want. And that goes a long way with me too. So uh, Golden Retriever in at the one spot there. And that is what I have to add this week. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Golden Retrievers. I actually have two beagles myself. So I appreciate the beagle love. And yes, they bark a ton. But beagles certainly are on there. I should have added huskies to the honorable mention list too. But as you can tell, I'm a fan of bigger dogs. Right. But Yeah. But regardless of that, that's all we got left to add. With that said, nothing else left to add. You know how we end shows on this show. Don't forget to play ball.